Good morning. My name is Jimmy. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central. It is my pleasure to bring to you God's word today. The word of God today comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. This is the reading of God's word. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen. This is the word of God. Last week, uh, we had a graduation service, and it was so amazing to see the various ages of our children and youth who were graduating, everyone from... um, preschoolers, elementary, youth, and even college. And we just want to say congratulations again and all the work that the parents have put into the years of them going through school and growing up. As I was watching the service, I was reminded of the importance of the fact that not only are our children growing up in education, but that they are growing up in Christ. Today I'm going to address an issue that has long since been an issue here in the contemporary church. And the issue is revolving around the fact that there's usually 20% of the church doing 80% of the work. It is a lack of efficiency, and it is also a lack of understanding about our faith and the role of our faith in the life of the church. Today, the average churchgoer uh, has several thoughts that I think lead and, and kind of contribute to why we have this 2080 uh, issue. The first one is that a lot of people look at their faith as just a personal faith. Yes, it is something very personal and real and something God does to speak to our hearts about salvation and about God's love for me. But it lacks a bigger picture of understanding of how that then goes into the life of the church. That there is a picture of us and and all that we do together. You take, for example, the the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, it wasn't my Father in heaven. It was our Father, our Heavenly Father. And it wasn't just about uh, give me my daily bread, but give us our daily bread, and so on. And what we see is, even in the Lord's Prayer, a collective understanding of the individual as a part of a larger whole that God forgives us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Another issue is that the gospel is often seen in the beginning aspect of salvation where we are justified, where God declares us innocent because of the bloodshed work of Jesus Christ. And because we know that, because, that we're saved and we're going to heaven, I think there's a sense of ease with which now we feel like we've accomplished or reached the goal of what it means to believe in Christ, that God saved us and we're going to heaven. But in between now and heaven, there's all this other 
thing that we call life and discipleship and what Christians use as a term of growing and into Christ-likeness, which is sanctification. And we do this until this work is finished or when Christ returns and takes us home. Another contributor to this issue is the work of evangelism, that it introduces us to Jesus and a new faith. But it fails to take us beyond that introduction and this newfound faith to an understanding of the fact that we are called to live a life that bears fruit of our faith, that bears a a wonderful, a growing relationship to the Redeemer who loved us and gave his life for us. You know, there's some people who um, love to be what I call the Christian incognito or the incognito Christian. They like to go to large churches and be unseen. Or they like to be the, uh, that person who just sits in the back, just comes and goes. And I want you to know that that's not the picture of what the church is, nor is that what our faith was intended to be. It wasn't just an individual experience, and it wasn't just to be unseen or anonymous. God's will is that every Christian who is saved by the bloodshed work of Christ comes to know him and then matures in him so that we can serve disciple, and grow in Christ. In fact, if I could give a summary of what I believe Paul is saying here, is that the Holy Spirit has given foundational gifts to the church for the purpose of equipping all the saints for the works of ministry to build up the entire body of Christ. And so we are saved to know Christ and to mature in Christ. So then how does God grow us? I have three thoughts. First of all, God grows us as he equips us for ministry. In verse 11 and 12, we see that there are certain gifted people in the church that was given to equip the saints. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherd and teachers. The word shepherd here sometimes is translated pastors. It also can include the elders. And they have been given to the church to equip the saints. The word equip here is to train, uh, discipling, instruction giving. And that we are given these instructions and training to equip us for the works of ministry. It is this work of ministry is like the word deacon. It means to serve. And so we are are given these gifted people in, in these particular roles to train and equip the saints so that they can serve others. You cannot serve others if you don't know the people in your own church. If your goal is just to receive and to leave, you're missing the whole point, and you're missing a huge part of what this Christian life is all about. That every believer is not just about their own experience or their own time with God. A corporate worship is that. It's corporate. It's a corporate time, not an individual time. That this leads us to the uh, final understanding of this uh, efficiency and effectiveness. That in verse 16, it says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with, with which it is equipped. And this word equip is different than the first one in verse uh, 12. That if the verse 12 says to equip the saints, it's talking about the training and instruction. In verse 16, being equipped means fully supplied. Now that we are fully supplied, that when each part is working properly, it, the body builds itself up in love. There is this efficiency and there is this effectiveness when 
we are equipped when we understand that it's not just me, but it's me with everyone else. You know, this is where Paul continued, not only after preaching the gospel, but to go and equip the saints who were scattered after the persecution. And one of those places he went to go and equip the saints was in the church of Colossae. And in the book of Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29, this is what he says. He says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this, for this purpose, I toil and struggle, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. The word toil here is it's this labor and weariness of, of constantly working and agonizing over this desire to ultimately see the church mature in Christ. The energy is not his own. It is the grace of God that leads the Apostle Paul with gospel hope, with gospel joy, with gospel love, and with loving sacrifice. As Paul had known and experienced by the grace of God as he came to know Christ, the love that he's come to understand, he poured out to the church and through his own ministry and sacrifice. So God grows us by equipping us for ministry, that this ministry that we are about to do to serve others is how we grow up. There's also a second way that God grows us, and that is that he brings unity of faith and knowledge. In verse 13, it says, Until we all attain to the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And notice how verse 13 begins. It says, Until we all attain. This is a plural understanding. This is not a singular word. It is a plural. To understand that we all pursue something together. We all do this in the pursuit of growing and maturing and by using the various gifts that God has given us so that we can bless others. As we think about this, um, when we think about the all, when, until we all attain, I want, to, I want us to understand as a church that this is not just for the adults. This includes our children. That when our children are baptized or confirmed in their faith, that we as a church bear the, the loving responsibility to help them mature and grow in their faith. That's why Sunday school and youth ministry and college ministry are vital to helping our youth and our children uh, mature and grow, not just uh, in basic understanding, but to grow in their love for Jesus Christ. James, James Montgomery Boyce, in his commentary in the book of Ephesians, speaks about faith and knowledge. First of all, he says that faith refers to the theological content of Christianity. It's what we believe. And if you remember in our, in our times of public worship, there were times when the catechism would go up. And the word catechism is, a, is an idea of teaching. It's where we teach through question and answers. Or maybe we had a time of confession of faith, where we uh, spoke about our confessions or what we believe. And that these were teaching ways through our Sunday worship, reminding believers exactly what it is that we believe. Another aspect of, our, uh, of, our, of the way the church teaches this is at Christ Central, we have a class called Essentials, the Essentials of Discipleship. There are two parts to it, learning and living. 
that these classes, these three-week classes each, which total six classes, were created and formed to try to equip the saints with not only the theological content, but eventually the second part of living. And I want to I illustrate this for you. As you grow in your practice of prayer, for example, your prayer life is tremendously enhanced and it can grow deeper because it is directly related to understanding the person whom you address as God as you pray. If this is not clear to you, and you, you feel like you're addressing a God who maybe is powerless, or doesn't have full knowledge, or is, has some deficiency, or you question it at least, that's, that's a hard, that makes it hard for you to pray. But as you begin to understand what Scripture says as God defines himself, then it turns prayer into a more confident time. Let me illustrate this even further. Take, for example, you meet this guy named Jimmy. You don't know who he is or what he does. But as you meet him, you might think, well, you know what? He's good looking. Um, he's intelligent. Um, and, uh, you know, he has, he has a great personality. He has a great sense of humor. I've heard this from many people, about three actually. But when you find out that he's a pastor, all of a sudden it becomes a little bit more deeper. You, you find out and, and maybe your questions now begin to be, Oh, where do you pastor? What's the name of your church? What is the role that you serve in the church as a pastor? And then if you get to know him even further, you might say, hey, you know what? Can I ask you a question? See, you would never do that with a stranger that you barely know. But the more you grow intimate, the more details you know about this person, it, your faith can grow deeper as well. And so this idea of faith it's not just about believing, but believing in the object of that faith. And the more you discover and know and, and grow deeper in understanding, the theological doctrines and the understanding of who God is is so foundational. That's why we call it the essentials of, our, of discipleship. The second part is the knowledge of the Son of God. Boyce refers to this as the experiential knowledge of Jesus attained through day-to-day -day discipleship. And I love this. I love it because he doesn't define it as some esoteric uh, knowledge of Jesus, but it's a day-to-day -day discipleship. It's a day-to-day -day following of Jesus. And so this, this part is not the theology of it. It is the living out of that theology. That theology always has a second part to it. It is how we live life. It is an informed way that we live life. That it's not just about the information that comes into the head, but that it trickles down into the heart and it flows out into the life of obedience where loving service is given to others out of our love for Jesus Christ. If you're a small group leader or you're in our small group ministry, you might have heard of something called TLCs. TLCs are the spiritual disciplines that I encourage our small group members and our leaders to practice together. T stands for his truth. L stands for his life. And C stands for his character. That as disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to know his truth, live like his life, and become like his character. And so it's essential that we know the truth of who God is by reading scripture and knowing scripture. It's also very important that we live out this truth in, in a life that is like Christ. It is imitating his life of obedience and love for the Father. And thirdly, it involves the heart of character, who we are. 
And Jesus said that the world will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. That love was an essential component in understanding what it meant to be defined as a true follower of Christ. I want to encourage all those who are small group leaders, who are Sunday school teachers, who are youth group teachers, that I, I highly encourage you to consider that the essentials classes are not optional, that they are very essential to you being able to be a better teacher, to learn it yourself, and then to be able to share it with the students that you teach. The twofold knowledge of the head and heart is what Paul says that every church should attain for. This is what every church should be seeking out. And so in application to this, there is reading and learning the truth that daily in groups, in homes, and with friends in the church, in small groups, that there is a, there is a consistent uh, reading and learning of Scripture together. That after we learn the Scripture, we choose to live out that faith through obedience. That trusting God, learning, to, learning in prayer, surrendering our life before Him, and then learning to confess our sins when we fail to do this, and then do all of that all over again. It is the journey of following Jesus and learning not to follow me, but to follow Him. And that learning what love is. You know, when I was younger, I thought I knew what love was. I listened to Coast 103. I had romanticized thoughts and visions of what it would be like to date someone and eventually marry someone. And then I got married, and, I began, and then I had children. And I began to realize that love isn't always something you feel, but it begins with a sacrifice. And ironically, the more you give, the more you feel that love. And by the way, if you've ever, if you've ever gone on a mission trip, or if you've never have, I want to tell you perhaps one of the most beautiful ways to sacrificially give in the name of Jesus is to go serve others people you've never met, in a country you've never been, to do a work that is most beautiful and eternal. To summarize this, Boyce says in his commentary, but far more important than any outward show of unity is that deep, inward, motivational unity that comes from believers growing in a knowledge of the truth as we find it in the Bible and living the truth out experientially in day-to-day -day fellowship with Jesus Christ. My friends, um, every Christian has been given gifts, not just to hoard or keep it in, but these gifts were given to the body at large. There's not one person who's a Christian who doesn't have a spiritual gift to build up the church. And when we receive them, we are to grow in them in the faith and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Lord. So God grows us by equipping us for ministry. He grows us by bringing unity of faith and knowledge that there is this harmony and desire and the same path that we call fellowship, that we share in this together. Thirdly, God grows us as he matures us into Christ-likeness. At the end of verse 13, it says, to mature manhood to the measure of the full stature of the fullness of Christ. What we see here is that statement probably could be summarized in the, in the word Christ-likeness. It's not only to have this knowledge of Christ and his ways, but it's to be increasingly becoming more and more like him as you spend intimate daily time and fellowship with him. 
But some of you might be thinking, you know, Pastor Jim, um, as I became a Christian, I, be- I realized, man, I'm so not like Jesus. Amen, me too. The beginning journey of growing into Christ-likeness is realizing how unlike Jesus we really are. It's, it's the awareness of all these areas in my life. It could be my speech. It could be my thought process. It could be my heart's desire. It could be my idols that are so unlike Jesus that we can't begin to understand how many things are distractions and sins and idols in our life until we actually pursue and desire to grow and become more like Christ. You know, in my marriage, uh, when I got married, um, before marriage, I thought, man, I was a pretty humble, godly, giving, sacrificial guy. And then I got married, and when my wife would ask me for my Mondays when I used to golf, or the evenings when I used to watch certain television shows or sports uh, events, um, and ask me to do something else, man, I thought I'd be absolutely sweetheart, but it was so hard. And I began to realize that Christ-likeness, love, things that I thought I had, I began to discover how far I really fell short. So what does Christ-likeness look like? Some would argue that it looks like what Paul writes in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, that he speaks about the fruit of the Spirit. This is one fruit manifested in the Spirit, through the Spirit, because of our relationship to Jesus Christ. And he lists what the fruit of the Spirit is like. He says it is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, these last two, I, I, I wish I could spend time on all of them, but just to focus a little bit on gentleness and self-control. That gentleness is power under control. I love an illustration someone gave. Gentleness is like a football player holding a baby. That's gentleness. And then self-control is the virtue of someone who has control over his desires and passions. The self-control means I don't just blurt out whatever is going on in my head. I don't do whatever I feel like doing. I exercise. I'm able to exercise self-control. And these things are things that we could grow in. These are things that we could learn to do better. But not because we're so able by ourselves. It is what the Holy Spirit desires to produce in us because of our love for Jesus Christ and our desire to walk with him in obedience. By growing and learning... We grow into a Christ-likeness that the Spirit of God works when we choose to live as he lived, to love as he loved, and to serve as he served. And so this is not ultimately about my individual experience, but as a whole, as as a church. And yes, it does start with me. I can't make everyone else do this, but I can start with me. But if every individual says, I'm gonna work on me, then the whole body grows together. And this is what we call fellowship. It's when we share something in common that is profoundly rooted in Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and it is a longing and a desire of the church together. The goal and purpose is maturity. I know that at this point, I don't want to discourage you with all this, this picture of Christ-likeness and, and all that God is doing with gifts and, and faith and knowledge. You know, this journey is imperfect. We will 
make mistakes, we will fail. We'll even take steps backwards. But I want you to know that that's all part of growing up. If you ever have uh, children or teenagers, I have two teens in my home. They make mistakes all the time. They fail all the time. They get yelled at all the time. But that's part of growing up. It's also the times when we sit there as a father and a mother and we, we tell them what they did wrong and not to discourage them, but to encourage them so that they could not do it again and do things differently. There's not one person who's not going to fail. And there's not one person who's not going to make mistakes or even take steps backwards. But it's important for us to understand that this is part of growing and maturing together. This is why grace is important in the life of the body of Christ. That we can't expect everyone to do things well or perfectly. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to say things. We're going to do things that are not like Jesus. But if there's going to be a safe place to grow, it has to be the church. We are all imperfect. We're all loved by the grace of God. And we're called to love and show grace to one another and be a safe person in a safe group and gathering so that we can mature in Christ. The opposite is what we are not to do. We are not to remain like children. In verse 14, it says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by the craftiness of deceitful schemes. What Paul is describing here is that being, a, being children is, is like being naive. It's unstable. There's a fickleness to what, what we want to do and what we don't want to do. They lack attention. Sometimes they're easily fooled and deceived. And this is not the way mature Christians are to live. Instead, we are to grow up. And therefore, in verse 15, it says, Rather, so as not like children, but rather... We are to grow up speaking the truth in love. The first part is speaking the truth. Without truth, there's no real maturity. We are to grow by speaking the truth in love. In verse 15, it shows the contrast between being like children to being adults. And therefore, one of the ways that we do this is by speaking the truth. That without truth, there's no real maturity. And so you cannot speak what you don't know. So it's important for us to read and study God's word. You cannot speak what you can't recall. So it's important for us to memorize. Why? Because the Apostle Paul in chapter 6 says that as we go into spiritual battle, the weapon, the only weapon he mentions is the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And that is not picking up a book. But it is the word that dwells in you richly that you can recall for the moment of battle. At this moment, I want to talk to our youth group, our teens and, that are listening today and worshiping with their family. I want to encourage you to take a moment throughout your teenage years to really think about reading the Word of God daily. In fact, if I could set a goal for us, I would love it that if you could read through the Bible at least twice before you head to college. For 15 years of my ministry years, um, I served in campus ministry in universities. And I've watched students prepared academically to go into universities, but they were not quite as prepared uh, spiritually. And those who did not attend a campus ministry or had a weekly place to be equipped and, and taught, they struggled because the universities will question 
the existence of God, the reliability of Scripture, and even the, the history and, and the reliability of what we call Christianity. And so as we think about this, the, the challenge of even the world at large, things like the cults, they thrive on young Christians who can't discern the truth in the gospel. That there's no other Jesus than the Jesus who was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, he died, and he rose again on the third day. There's no works that will bring us to eternal glory, and there's only one Jesus and one Messiah. As adults, we are, we're guided by the truth, God's truth. And this doesn't mean replacing it with our own opinion or the opinions of others, but it is not being tossed back and forth by public opinion or worldly opinion but to spend time in God's word so that we can speak the truth. Secondly, we are to speak the truth in love. You've heard the phrase, they don't care what you know until they know that you care. It's important for us to speak the truth in love. Love makes the truth uh, stand out and to have context and to be attractive and to really bring people together. If we have all the amazing gifts that Scripture speaks about but lack love, the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians 13 that we have nothing, that we are nothing. That even if I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, he says I'm nothing. If I give all I have and deliver, my, deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, he says I gain nothing. Love is foundational to truth understood and received and experienced the way it was intended. And so growth is a process, and growth takes time, and growth takes trust, doing life God's way, not my way. Growing takes patience. In fact, James Montgomery Boyce has a very long set of uh, letters that are an acronym. It's P-B-P-W-M-G-I-F-W-M-Y. Okay, I know that sounds ridiculous. But all that stands for is, please be patient with me. God isn't finished with me yet. God grows us by equipping us for ministry. God grows us by bringing unity of faith and knowledge. And God grows us by maturing us into Christ-likeness. So, what do we do now? I have four applications. The first one is defining the goal properly. Not just getting to heaven. By maturing and growing into Christ-likeness, we have a goal. That it's not just heaven, but it's how we get there. It's how we're growing. It's, how, it's who we're growing with. It's the difference between done versus still doing. That it's not just, I have arrived, but there is a still part of salvation sanctification that God is working in all of us. The gospel doesn't stop at justification, but it continues until we are sanctified and until the one final day when we are glorified. Secondly, that each person must discover their gifts and begin using them to grow up not only as, as, as a Christian, but to help others grow. And this is where we need to understand that there are various gifts 
there are teachers, encouragers, administrators, those who labor and serve. There are prayer warriors, and the list continues. And if you're not sure what your spiritual gift is, I hope you find out. I hope you can take one of our classes and really begin to discover what that is. If, you're not, if you don't feel equipped, if you don't feel ready, I want to encourage you to join us as we have a recommended journey here at Christ Central of how we can grow and serve together. Thirdly, I want to encourage you to become a member of a local church. You know, membership is not just joining, like, it's not like joining a club. It is the ability to confess our faith as Christians, agreeing that we will work together and serve together here in one local congregation. It's not here, there, or wherever I feel like this Sunday, but to commit to a, a group of believers together. And then as you, as you bless others, and as others bless you with their gifts, that we grow in our commitment together as we serve one another as the body of Christ uses their various gifts. This means that there's no sideline Christians. And if I can be very honest with you, for those of you who are not understanding what this means, that this is not God's will. And often it is really uh, more about ourselves. Fourthly, make growing into Christ-likeness a priority. That his truth, his life, and his character, that we practice these things together. I want to encourage you to join a small group in the fall. And I want to encourage you as friends and as Christian brothers and sisters to not just simply let times that we gather together just be about anything else. But, you know, I want to encourage us maybe as Christians to, to pray together and to do different things that uh, continue to manifest the gifts that God has given. Some of you are great encouragers. Pastor Harold a few weeks ago spoke about a brother who sent him a handwritten letter. I received one too. We were so encouraged by that. There are classes that we have at Christ Central. And there are times that we have, like prayer meetings. And I want to encourage you to participate and grow to be equipped. All this because evangelism and missions will not happen until we define what it means to follow Christ, how to grow to become like Christ, so that we can share the message of Christ. You know, Jesus did what none of us could do. He died on the cross to pay a price we couldn't pay. And he purchased salvation for us. He sent his Holy Spirit. He gave us the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors, teachers to equip us, to grow us, and to mature us together so that we can all do this work. And when the work is done and it's finished, we can finally go home. I want to encourage us to mature together because this honors the one who bought us and purchased us by his own blood. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for all those who call CCSC, Christ Central, their home. And I pray that every believer, not just here at Christ Central, but for every church, would understand that your will is that all of us understand the gifts that you've given and how we can manifest and use these gifts to help one another grow in our faith. I thank you for the various volunteers and teachers and people who are at our church. And I pray that we would grow together and we would strive to honor 
the very church that you have brought together. I pray that all those who lead, help them to lead well. For all those administrators, help them to, uh, to administrate and to lead us well. For all the teachers, for all the worship leaders, for every other office and areas of service, may you remind us that we do this in honor to the one who loved us and gave himself up for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.